either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You're sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. I can't imagine why you'd be looking for something other than the news to watch this week. <laughs> Who'd have thought? But if you're looking at movies, we're glad you're here. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we've got some for streaming. Even got at least one that is in limited theater release. You can imagine that. And we'll start with the story of a young mother's home birth ending in incredible tragedy, leading her to a year-long odyssey of mourning that fractures relationships with loved ones and a deeply personal story of a woman learning to live alongside her loss. This is Pieces of a Woman. Certain things medically we just don't have answers for. Very sorry for your loss. Thank you. Have you decided to go to the trial? That's the right thing to do, honey. Because you say it is. We need some justice here. No, you need. Why are you trying to disappear my kid? Because we don't have a kid. I am facing this. I am facing it! I am facing this! Who cares about what they think? This is about me. This is about my life. This is me. This one's on Netflix, and uh, Vanessa Kirby, wow. You know, I'm, I'm mostly familiar with her from that Hobbs and Shaw movie. Right. She was fine. Right, She Me was too. funny. She was a capable action hero, yeah. kind of a... Kind of a badass. I yeah. did not expect this. I, I, oh, my God, the performance. Yeah, I didn't either. This puts her right up there as a, as a talent of incredible depth. And uh, you, you're right. That's the, I'm the same way. I think that's where I knew her, her face the best. And I really didn't know her name before this movie, like to put the name with the face. But she is incredible, and uh, there are some various great performances in, in this movie. Ellen Burstyn is great as well. Oh, so good. As her mother. But as, as you probably could gather from the synopsis, it's, it's a, a movie that at times is hard to watch. It's about a tough subject, and it has some very uncomfortable moments. But it's an incredibly personal story of, of grief and healing, and it's presented so well. It's director, and I know I'm going to mangle this, Cornell Mundrusco. And the writer that he's worked with, uh, at least uh, two or three films, Kata Weber, and I think they're both Hungarian. And the way they roll out, first the writing and the way the camera moves. There's fantastic uh, cinematography here as well. The camera, especially early on, because there's about a 20-minute or so prologue that is the the tragedy here, because uh, Vanessa Kirby's character, Martha, she is pregnant uh, in Boston, and her boyfriend, uh, Sean, is played by Shia LaBeouf. And they have planned, since the beginning, they've planned a home birth with a midwife. And when the time comes, the original midwife that they had planned is already involved in a a longer-than-expected labor. So they had to go with the backup midwife, played by Molly Parker, another woman who's always, you know her face, Mm -hmm. and she's always great, and she's terrific here as well. And so they have the backup midwife, and things are going fine. And then things are not going fine. And that is the prologue of the incredible moments of tragedy and then they have to pick up the pieces and move on and the the couple here they're going about dealing with their grief in totally different ways as, as people do as people do exactly. exactly right and so they're having a hard time staying together because of that and then you've got Martha's family led by her mother Ellen Burstyn who as I said great always good to see her anyway yeah uh, and then various family members and lawyers looking for their different ways that they think Martha should get through it and 
looking for someone to blame and someone to sue to get restitution. And so that's where the the, the journey begins and, and the journey, the arc of this character, because it really comes down to being a character study led by this great performance. But as I said, the, especially early on, the camera just it meanders very long takes with just a slowly moving camera surrounded by great cinematography, a very evocative, moody score. It just it really immerses you in this journey of this woman. And there are clear metaphors here. There's a bridge that's being built, and then there's Martha's um, fascination with apples. But they don't end up feeling forced. They end up feeling sincere about the, the journey uh, that this character is on. And by the end, like I said, it's, it's certainly, you can probably gather, it's not the feel-good movie of the year. It's a tough subject. It's mm-hmm. a tough subject here. Tragedy and grief and getting through it. But um, it's true to the, to the title, Pieces of a woman. She's she shattered into pieces, and then it's about how she can heal on her own terms, in her own way. Yeah, one of the things I thought was so great about this movie, we've talked about this before, movies about grief, is that they tend to be really about kind of forcing somebody to get past their grief because their grief makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot about what the internal workings of this movie is. So you've got the grandmother, she's grieving in her own way, and her own way very much involves trying to rush her daughter through her grief process. It's a big part of that. And then the way the grandmother deals with grief is to lay blame. Um, And and so I, I loved the way the movie just categorizes it really i mean it gives all of the different characters an opportunity to grieve mm-hmm. uh, but of course it's it's the, it's the mother it's the, you know who just gave birth she's the one who we have to be the most wrapped up in but i just thought one of the things it did incredibly well was just to give you a look at how necessarily selfish grief has to be yeah and it's another movie the one of those movies and, and scripts that's not afraid to have unlikable flawed characters oh yeah uh, they're all over the place here uh, really led by the boyfriend Sean and I have to say you know we've talked about Sh- uh, Shia LaBeouf's personal issues he clearly has them but I'm, I'm always gonna say when he because he is he has been a talented actor he has given good performances he is the weak link here yeah it's showy it's it's showy he stands out like someone who's trying to be the actor yeah and, and, and it's funny when you're when you're in scenes first of all with somebody who is as effortlessly effortlessly brilliant as ellen burston and also somebody who is so on top of their game as as vanessa you you stand out yeah. when you're trying so hard yeah it really does it, it seems like he's trying to be method actor man and when everything else is just so so graceful here in this movie to me, he was, he was the weak, weak link. But uh, yeah, there are there are people that are demanding that she get on their schedule. Yeah, and, and yeah. their and their manner of dealing with the grief, and that's what she she has to work through and how she's going to deal with it. Because yeah, especially the mom, she wants blame. She wants someone to pay. Yeah, and and Martha's just not sure that's her way. And, and how is she going to get through this? And uh, it's it's very very touching. And in the end, even though it is tough, very tough subject, uh, it is hopeful. And a journey of healing at the end. And this is on Netflix now. And so I very much recommend it, although obviously going in, you, know, you, you want to know if you're in the in the mood for a story like this. Right. But it's, uh, boy, it's, it's so well done and an incredible performance by Vanessa Kirby. And that is Pieces of a Woman. Next is the story of a young mother, Sandra, who escapes her abusive husband and fights back against a broken housing system. She sets out to build her own home and in the process rebuilds her life and rediscovers herself. What can I do for you? I want to build a house. Look, sorry, darling. There's just too many risks for everyone. No harm in asking. 
Why didn't you ask me? A permanent home. I didn't mean for you to say that. Well, I did. So, it's land, Sandra, going to waste. Use it. Let herself do the honours. You are not taking my kids! All right, all right. What is the point of a house if I have no kids to put in? There are a lot of parallels here, actually, with uh, Pieces of a Woman. You know, it is about a woman who is broken to pieces from different tragedy and who just has to stake a claim and rebuild it for herself. I mean, it's a drama and it's tough. It's not nearly as tough or emotionally wrought right. as Pieces of a Woman. It's got a little, little bit of humor to it. It does, bit. and it has some very cute little girls, and it has very, very thick Irish accents. So you might want to put Boy, your... Boy, does it. You might want to put the <laughs> captions on. But it's it really so well-written. Uh, one of the things, and Claire Dunn plays the lead plays Sandra and she's great. And she's also one of the writers. You know, it's funny because what I was going to say was I thought the writing was just really spotless. You know, it was so tight and one of the things that it does the whole time is it creates this dread. It's a lovely story. It looks lovely. You know, everything is very hopeful but you know because you've seen movies. You know, and you've seen movies (laughs) about battered wives. You know the other shoe is going to drop and so but the longer it takes the more they give you clues. Maybe it's going to be this. Maybe it's going to be this. But it just feels like a real everyday story, you Mm -hmm. know, like every day in her life is fraught with peril because she has this husband who's just hanging around. So um, I just liked the way it absolutely threw formula aside and it created a very lived in, believable world. Yeah. And it's in Ireland, obviously. And it also, without belaboring the points, I think it also shed some light on the the weaknesses of the institutions and the the difficulty of navigating these institutions that mm-hmm. she has obviously she has trouble with her ex-husband and there's a there's a custody issue and visitation things like that so she has to deal with that and she has to deal with the codes and the the certain bureaucracies that they have set up over there for getting rent assistance and also trying to build her own house and and can she find someone to help her that really knows what she's doing she has to find a plot of land to put it on and in the end, it also is about having good people helping other good people. Right, yeah. I mean, it it, it really is. Uh, you know, she does it. You know, it's a testament to just, you know, perseverance. And um, but but it is it's it's without grandstanding at any point. It is just really, you know, a, a reminder that there are good people in the world. And the director is Philida Lloyd, who directed uh, Mamma Mia. I think I know the first one, maybe the second one, too. And the Iron, Iron Lady. Lady. Yeah. And. It's a story that sets about your your hero, your heroine. She's really easy to root for, yeah. Without making her a cliche yeah. of or of a pleaser, Job, you know, or like, a pleaser, or a you pleaser, know, she, yeah. you know, she she has her rough edges and she she lashes out at times when you wish she wouldn't, but of course she does. Mm-hmm. And those two little girls. Oh my god, they're very very cute. <laughs> they they're are. very very cute. Oh, they are, and it's a it's a good. It's not as like like we said. It's not as a of hard-hitting and and really a gut punch of a story as Pieces of a Woman. But yeah, it's another strong, uh, a strong woman taking care of, taking control of, I should say, uh, of her own life here. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a little bit more, it's a little bit of a lighter touch, Mm -hmm. I'd say, and definitely worth checking out, but you might... You might have those closed captions handy because, boy, those accents get thick. This one's on Prime. This is on Prime, and uh, we enjoyed it, called Herself. 
Let's take to the skies next. A female World War II pilot traveling with top-secret documents on a B-17 flying fortress encounters an evil presence on board the flight. Ooh, this is Shadow in the Cloud. What's your name, honey? Flight Officer Garrett. Ain't no women in the Air Corps. I'm a flight mechanic and a pilot. You're not a pilot. You're a delivery girl. (laughs) Sir, requesting permission to fire on an enemy attacker. You wouldn't even know how to fire a gun. I was being polite. Ah! She hit it! She was right! Who the hell are you, Miss Garrett? What is she here for? Did you hear that? What the hell is that racket? There's something on top of the plane. Something on the goddamn chart! You have no idea how far I'll go! Strap in. Yes, ma'am. So I want to address something head on with this. So this movie was co-written by Max Landis. And Max Landis is the son of John Landis, filmmaker John Landis. Mm -hmm. And Max Landis has been accused by eight different women of sexual assault. And that makes me think to myself, I don't want to pay money that might in any way benefit Max Landis. The movie is co-written, which is to say it was rewritten by, he wrote the the first draft of it, and filmmaker Roseanne Liang rewrote it. She has a, a 50% writing credit on it and directed it. And what the film turns out to be is a feminist monster movie. Yeah. And I, I thought that that was a good show. <laughs> like, yeah. That's fun. Yeah, and it's, it's the kind of film, when we were talking about this morning on our TV gig, Phil, one of the hosts, just they just see the trailers, and he thought... It looks crazy, and it looked crazy fun, and and it is fun. It's not a great movie. It's sort of like a B movie if you're at the theater, popcorn type of thing, because it does take go in crazy places. Not all of them that logical, but okay. But it sets up a fun story. A, another very strong heroine here, who uh, is taking control of her own life, especially in the in the setting here, which is World War II, and she is she's played by uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. And she played Maud, Maud Garrett, and she's one of the few female pilots of the time. So when she gets assigned to this B-17, the male crew, they just can't, they they can't believe it. Right. Uh, They got, there's got to be some mistake. And they talk just really, really nasty to her. And they put her down in this turret. The gun turret, release the plane. By herself. And she's holding this, this package, very, very top secret package that she has to be separated from with a promise from one of the guys in the crew that seems like he might be a decent guy, promises to uh, keep keep care of it. Because it won't fit in the turret with her. Right. So she's down in the turret, and once they get up in the air, that's when this creature comes calling, and you're like, what? Right. It's, a, it's a fascinating way to set it up, because the reason she has to get into the turret is because the captain of the plane didn't realize she was going to be on board, and they don't have any place safe for her to sit through takeoff. So they say, but it's a, right away, you're like, don't get down there, because these people are horrible, and then you're going to have to rely on a ship full of men to let you back out. So it's, it's, they immediately create this tension. But once she's down there, a couple of other great things that, that this element works out. Number one is, so it's very tight quarters, and you're, you're uncomfortable for her, and you don't know if she can get back out. And she's surrounded by these windows, so she can see what might be in the clouds, what might be on the wing, right? Oh. What might be going on. And little by little, also, she reveals more of her character, which is not exactly what you think it is. Um, and it's about, I, I'd say it's probably maybe 25% of the film that Chloe Moretz is, is, is in this situation. 
just owning as a, a one woman show. For, owning yeah, this movie because you pretty much only you don't when you hear the the men talking, you, they don't show them. It's just her ta- talking to them on the headset on the radio. So yeah, she's got that that time where she is the only thing in the movie. Well. Of what might be outside on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> if that reminds you of a classic Twilight Zone episode, you're not alone. And it has that feel. Yeah. It's got a real throwback sort of what's going on, fun, and it definitely, especially with the setting, the time setting, feels like a, a B movie that might have come out. Out of the out, 50s. Out of the 50s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It does. And that's I think that's an important uh, point to make. If you're 10 minutes into this film and you don't think it's fun, abandon it. Right, because all it's going to do is is run with that style. That style isn't yeah. going to go away. It's going to the whole movie is going to get more and more ludicrous. <laughs> and if you really have a hard time with that, ask yourself how many Stallone films were okay with you. Because I'm telling you, they're not any more ludicrous than this. But the point is, if you don't like this, it's very stylized. It's very really embraces the cheesy B movie vibe. And and one of the things I think that the filmmaker manages because of that style is that she can. She can take advantage of limited budget. You yeah. know, it is fun. It isn't great. The The writing is a weakness and certainly in different parts. I think, again, that B-movie vibe helps them get past that a little bit. You're not really expecting Sorkin, you know. Um. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and it's nice to see Chloe Grace Moretz, who, of course, has been, she's been on her radar since she was just a little kid. We yeah. watched her grow up in some really fine performances. Other times, uh, you know, not so much. And she really takes control of this. Yeah, and it's she great does. to see. Yeah, she does. Yeah, so, so it's fun. And this one actually is out in limited theaters. Yep. I know that's weird to say right now. We saw it in the theater. Uh, so uh, if it's in your area, you might have some fun with this one. It's called Shadow in the Cloud. Next up, we go to four friends who met in high school and are bonded by an event are suddenly forced back together when one of them suffers a crisis. It's a story of love, forgiveness, and the incredible bond between women. It's called If Not Now, When? I was so frustrated that she had to see me like this that I lashed out at her. But inside, I was dying. How do you forgive someone? How do you stop being so angry? I could have reached out to. Are we good? <laughs> okay, good. Hug. When we fight, when we lie, when the weakness shows. Yes. Yes. When we laugh, when we cry, when it's all exposed. We need you. The truth of it all. We rise. This one. Is actually written and directed by a couple of longtime actresses that you might know. Uh, Tamara Bass wrote it, and she co-directs it with Megan Good. And the two also co-stars the adult friends. You know, especially right now, it's kind of a nice movie to have just people caring about the fate of other people. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a little bit heavy-handed in almost every respect. I think that the writing tries too hard not exactly to tell a story as much as it tries to set up scenes where the four leads have the chance to shine. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's creating uh, an actor's film reel for them. Mm-hmm. And for, because of that, very often those moments feel unearned. You don't feel like the characters have done anything to deserve this minute in the sun that they're getting. Uh-huh. And call me shallow, but I think Megan Good is one of those people that sometimes is just too attractive for her own good. A She's good. very good looking. <laughs> she, I remember one time she was in a movie and her name in the film was beautiful. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yeah. She's <laughs> she's pretty striking. But it's great that they're they're getting together and becoming filmmakers yeah. by on their own on their own merit. And one of the things I know one of the things you appreciated about this movie, even though it's not a great movie, is that they they don't feel pressure to wrap up or or follow the different arcs of these characters in symmetry. 
Exactly. Because so, yeah. life doesn't work like that. Exactly. Two, the two of the things that I like the most about, in particular, the way a movie was written and directed, you've got four main characters, and each of them gets their own arc, but they're not all moving at the exact same time. So it's not like, you know, and now this character is going to go through the lull in their life, and then this one is, and then this one's going to hit the climax, and then this one is. You don't have that. So it doesn't follow the typical just arc that a film does, which makes the whole thing feel less predictable mm-hmm. and a little bit more surprising throughout, which is which is great. Very, it, you know, it breathes. And the other thing that I really appreciated about the writing is that they don't feel obligated to tie up every loose end right. because that would make the whole thing feel far too tidy. Lifetime movie-ish. And yeah. there are some good performances and there are some good supporting performances as well. They throw a lot at you. It just feels for me too much like a TV movie. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I feel like maybe it's that, you know, it's very early in the sort of writing and directing careers of these two. Well, although it's their, obviously, it's their uh, debut, I mm-hmm. believe, at least as directors. Although obviously they've, I mean, they've both been in films. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, make a good, uh, another one who grew up before our eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, so they've been in and around it for a long time, and this is a great first effort. And it's a, it is a fine film. It's just not a particularly good film. But good news, it's on Prime, and it's uh, only six ninety nine. So uh, not, not that big a risk if you want to take it for if not now when out on Prime Video right now. And let's end with a documentary. It's based on the book by Naoki Higashida. Uh, this immersive film explores the experiences of non-speaking autistic people around the world. This is called The Reason I Jump. Can you imagine how your life would be if you couldn't say what you wanted? I think we can change the conversation around autism by being part of the conversation. Right now, Joss is having a joy that I will never come close to. <laughs> to live my life as a human being, nothing is more important than being able to express myself. Boy, what a beautiful film this is. Boy, it was such a touching film, and neither one of us knew about this book. But uh, 10 years ago, as a 13-year-old, uh, Naoki Higashida wrote this book, and it's it's incredible. As a And he wrote it as a mainly non-verbal autistic person explaining to the world how it works how it works how the world is to him and mm-hmm. to many like him and it's so expressive and so enlightening yeah. because for years people have been trying to to understand in some ways for centuries yeah why, just assuming that right why they are like this heck in some countries they they think the, these children should be killed yeah it's great to have some of these myths just totally blown out of the water. And you see when, they're, when they find ways to express themselves, how they can do it. One of them, because what it does, what the, the, the documentarian here, a veteran documentarian named Jerry Rothwell, he uses narrated passages from the book and he weaves them in with segments with, I don't know, five or six other mostly nonverbal autistic teens from around the world. Mm-hmm. And they're just great. One of them is an incredible artist. Oh yeah. Um, another one. There's there's another two that are that are fast friends oh, that, yeah. that just have formed such a a bond of friendship. Another one we see we see grow up through uh, home movies, and uh, he's fascinated with the sounds of this electrical these uh, electrical grids from around his town. It, it, it's just, it's truly amazing. And it's only, it's a short one too. It's only about 80 minutes or so. Yeah, I think one of the things, it, it happens almost simultaneously is that when they're reading, because there's a lot of voiceover narration that's taken from the book. As they're reading, the book 
you're thinking to yourself, this it's amazing to just have a moment inside this mind. And yeah. then each of the parents says that I would do anything to just be able just to get inside the minds of their children because but the parents, they want so badly to help them and they cannot understand what they need or what they're going through. Right. And and then once they do find a way to communicate, um, you know, the, the two American uh, kids, the, the two who are good friends, they start with um, fingerspelling. And once you, the audience, once we hear what it is that they're trying to communicate and you realize that they're being treated like like people who have no idea what's going on, they can't understand anything, you know. Once, once they are able to communicate and we, the audience, can hear what it is they're thinking, they're uh, brilliant. Yeah. You know, and it's it's horrifying to think that until someone outside of them realized we could do this with fingerspelling, mm-hmm. they were incapable of letting other people know, I understand what you're saying and you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear, you, you hear one of the fathers say that when he first read the book years ago, he called it an envoy into another world. Yep. And that's exactly what this movie is. Mm-hmm. And we talk about how good, we talk about all the time, how a good documentary introduces you to a world that maybe you don't know yep. about or know about very well. And this is, it's certainly not a, a, a be-all and end-all, uh, because like I said, it's only about 80-some minutes, but it's such a, an introduction into understanding more and learning more and, and shaking off old... Uh, contradictions or, or long-held beliefs that just you find out just aren't true and at the very end that one of the one of the kids just says they want to be they want to change the conversation by being part of the conversation yep. and you can realize now they can be they can be part of the conversation and it's it's beautiful and it's touching and there's some great cinematography yeah, here that's, too. that's one of the things too a lot of times uh in the voiceover from the book he talks a lot about how a color will just capture his attention or he'll you know he'll drown in a sound or a color and and very often i think the cinematographer sort of pays tribute to that by really focusing for a long time on something very close up and just beautiful yeah. if you take a second and look at it yeah so 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 worth uh seeking out well especially if you have an autistic child in your life but even if you don't it's a beautiful film and you can find it uh, i know one place it's out now and you can find it in the virtual screening room of our theater here in town gateway film center you can find that at gatewayfilmcenter.org and we recommend a documentary called the reason i jump and with that let's head off to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby Yes, and we're back in the lobby talking to Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. And we, ha- we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, so I guess first I should ask you, how was your New Year's Schlockin' Eve? Uh... Uh, well, I just spent it watching movies, so <laughs> <laughs> not too out of the ordinary. It was good, though. I don't know, I don't know if you heard the groan from uh, Hope over here. You know where George gets his jokes from? The database. Uh, <laughs> see, it's spreading like a virus. All right, well, let's get to it. I really haven't heard a lot of uh, a lot of headlines, a lot of movie studio news, but I know you have, so what's going on? Well, the good news is we don't really have a bunch of date changes, at least not at this time, although that could end up coming later for the reason I'm about to state, which is that because you know, COVID cases are surging in the U.S. again, many of the productions in L.A. and New York City have already shut down again, and more are expected to follow suit. There's also the potential for productions down in Georgia and Louisiana to be placed on hiatus as well. So that's going to end up causing some delays, more on the TV end, but also in terms of films. Um, you know, hopefully 
things stay okay in Canada and Australia and Europe where everyone else shoots. But we could end up seeing some things start shifting around again based on that alone and not just the fact that theaters aren't open yet. Mm-hmm. On the positive side, even though Quibi went down back in December, um, Roku has swooped in and purchased pretty much all of their exclusive content, and that should be housed on their Roku channels at some point later in the year. So that's not being lost, which is always a worry when you have a service like this shut down. Yeah. That, you know, things would just disappear forever. And speaking of streaming services, Hulu outmatched Paramount on their bid for Lee Daniels' United States versus Billie Holiday. Ooh. They haven't set a release date for that yet, but it's expected to be Hulu's big uh, film to push for awards this time around for the, you know, the delayed Golden Globes and Oscar season. Oh. So I imagine we won't have to wait too long to see it. Nice. You know, it's a bit weird to still be talking about more upcoming contenders in January, but I guess that's 2024. Right. It's 2021 and we're still seeing the after effects. But since the Oscars were pushed back to late April, uh, the studios and the production companies now have until the end of February to get their chosen contenders screened for critics, which means we're going to potentially see both 2020 and 2021 releases in the mix for the awards this time. You know, there's there's still the Denzel star-studded crime flick on the way. There's the Sopranos prequel, which is expected to be pretty big. And, you know, any of those films, plus Billie Holiday or even others, could still squeeze in and snake some nominations out from under some of the more lauded 2020 films. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild, but what, the Golden Globes are February 28th, and the Oscars aren't until April 25th. Yeah, it is weird because here, the critics group that we're a part of, we just finished up our awards. We that we kept it at the same schedule that we had been in. So, yeah, it's it's weird to get in that mindset that, no, we've still got plenty of time for others to be considered for the Oscars. Yeah, And it makes me wonder, too, what next year is going to look like. Are they going to continue to just, they're just going to move back to the end of April every year? Or are they going to give us a truncated year for 2021 contenders? Yeah. So it's like nine months, eight months. That's a good question, and I have no idea. I would assume they'll probably go back to the regular schedule, but it's hard to say. And either way, you know, like you said, your critics group already voted. Most of them did. So, you know, it's going to be pretty weird when you're all voting again come December, and some of the movies that you have on your list potentially actually in contention for the Golden Globes and Oscars already earlier in the year and maybe even won something. Yep, it's all, uh, as all of this has been for so long now, just such a fluid situation. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. The good stuff, as always, you can find Daniel at The Schlocketeer for all the latest news. Thanks again. All right, thanks for having me. And looking ahead to next week, it looks like we've got at least one pretty much assured Oscar contender in the mix. <laughs> Did you mean Rock Camp? Well, maybe. We haven't seen it yet. <laughs> one Night in Miami finally uh, finally comes out next week. And yet, we have already put that one on our uh, Best of 2020 mm-hmm. list, but we will talk more about it next week. Rock Camp does come out, as does a couple of horror films, Hunted. And Bloody Hell. I Ooh. saw that one. That's pretty fun. Okay. Bright Hill Road. And Go, Don't Go. Okay, we'll find out uh, what uh, what's up with those and maybe some more that pop up. You never know. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week. I'd love to keep the conversation going, as always. You can find us on Twitter. That's the easiest way. We're at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus, And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club, you can always find us at MadWolf.com. So we hope the year is starting out well for you, despite current events and keeping your chin up and staying well Uh, until next week she is hope madden he's george wolf and this is the screening room podcast 
See ya. And go Buckeyes. Beat Alabama. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>